Big Takes is a podcast from BCA Research, informing investors with straightforward, actionable analysis of macro and market events. Hi there, and welcome to the Quick Takes podcast. I'm your host, Rakaya Ibrahim, strategist at BCA Research. China's legislative session formally opened on March 5th with the outgoing Premier Li Keqiang delivering the government work report at the National People's Congress. The economic targets announced during the session suggest that policy stimulus is likely to fall short of expectations this year. This raises the likelihood that China's economic recovery will disappoint, which is negative for global risk assets. So in this week's episode, my colleague Matt Gerken is joining me to provide his take on the information we've gotten so far from the National People's Congress. Matt heads up BCA Research's Geopolitical Strategy Service. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Matt. Thank you, Rukai. It's a pleasure to be with you again. So China's National People's Congress kicked off on Sunday with an announcement of the economic targets for 2023. They were generally seen as disappointing expectations. So, for example, the key figure that came out is the GDP target, which was set at around 5%. Uh, that's the lowest in over three decades. And it continues a trend that started around 2011 of consistently lower annual growth targets. Now, another key target that was released is the quota for new local government special bond issuance, which was set at 3.8 trillion. And that's a small increase from the 2022 quota of 3.65 trillion. So do you think that these targets foreshadow a disappointment in economic growth this year, even though the domestic consumption will benefit from the post-lockdown opening? Or is it possible that after having missed the 5.5% GDP target last year and delivered only 3% growth, policymakers now prefer to under-promise and over-deliver this year? Yes, I do think that the intention here from a policy perspective is to under-promise and over-deliver. For example, with the special bonds, the special purpose bonds, more of those can be issued later this year. And we also know that the budget deficit numbers that are officially given at the National People's Congress are sort of a fabrication. The budget deficit could expand by more than expected this year and may need to in order to try to stabilize the economy. Um, And like you're highlighting, you also have this effect of opening up after COVID. Uh, So if you provide a little bit more accommodative monetary and fiscal policy um, on top of that, then, you know, then it could be a year in which the Chinese economy sort of stabilizes. But I don't think investors should misread the implications, which basically are that China is still downshifting in growth rates over the long run. You know, potential GDP growth is declining. The property sector is declining. The population is declining. And this is something that the country has not really been able to grapple with in the form of a a new economic engine and a new economic model. There has been a lot of talk about shifting to consumer orientation, but in fact, consumption is still only 38% of GDP in China, and it has fallen, in fact, in recent years. So in other words, they have not made a lot of progress shifting the basis of the economy away from overinvestment and the efforts that they will need to undertake to stabilize the economy will largely be driven by fiscal policy. 
Right. So um, moving from the economic targets to the military spending target, that was an important target that was revealed Sunday. Uh, and that was set at 7.2%. I think it's interesting that it's above the 5.7% targeted increase in public spending. And earlier this week, there was some hawkish rhetoric from the Chinese foreign minister who warned that the U.S. and China are headed towards conflict and confrontation unless the U.S. stops its attempts to contain China. So my question here is, do you think the fact that the defense spending target was set above the general public spending target indicates that China is prioritizing security over advancing its economy? So I do think that China is making decisions based on national security as a priority and economic optimality is no longer the, the prime objective of policymakers. And that reflects the overall great power rivalry with the United States and the intensification of that rivalry in recent years. So we are seeing across the board that the Xi Jinping administration is an administration focused on the security of China and converting the economic progress of the past 40 years into strategic power. And that's a consistent theme and it, it hasn't changed over the 10 years of Xi Jinping's rule and, and, it, and it's not at all likely to change in the coming 10 year uh, rule that he envisions. The actual military spending is not reflected in those statistics. On the one hand, the official statistic, that 7.2% growth rate, is actually in line with the average over the past five years. So that could give the misleading impression that they're holding military spending steady. But the truth is that any China analyst will tell you that the defense spending is a lot higher than what they openly admit. And we should expect that because, of course, they're making great preparations to deal with the American containment policy, as well as ultimately to have uh, to be prepared for the potential for conflict with Taiwan. So generally speaking, you're seeing a buildup across the military, a modernization of the military, a shift to try to capture new technologies and enable those to power the future of the military, as well as to build a Navy, which has alarmed the United States in, in recent decades. And all of those things are going to require enormous spending for national defense. Um, they also will be expanding their paramilitary and domestic security spending. And that's an important feature now that we have seen large scale social unrest emerge in China, which will be a long term factor that they'll have to deal with. So we should see this trend continue. And it is indeed focusing on national security at the expense of uh, economic growth. Something else that we're going to see out of the NPC is a reshuffling of leadership. So the most high profile change is the expectation that Li Xiong will replace Li Qixiong as premier. But there will also be some other changes among the top positions. So that includes, for example, the vice president, the NPC chair, vice premiers, the PBOC governor, as well as ministers. So what is your expectation in terms of what these changes likely mean for China's policy priorities going forward? These changes do not really mean much. The prime takeaway here is that the system has reverted away from consensus style rule toward a single person rule or autocratic government. And that is reminiscent of the days of Chairman Mao Zedong in the beginning of the People's Republic of China. And it's been a trend that has you know, progressed over the past 10 years under Xi Jinping. And the Communist Party is behind this as well. So it's not just Xi Jinping seizing absolute power for himself. It's also that the party effectively was lacking legitimacy and going through this economic transition and this new rivalry with the United States and basically reverting to its original disposition. 
So that's going to continue. And these personnel are largely overrated. And just to give you an example, when Xi Jinping first came to power and his Shanghai faction was perceived to be taking a dominant position on the Politburo back in 2012 and 13, the speculation was that they would be pro-market, that they would be reformers, that they would be looking to further integrate China into the US-led kind of Western capitalist system. And of course, none of that happened. And even when they had a major reformer like Vice Premier Liu He, who is now gone, uh, that person was forced to accept an entirely different economic agenda than the one that he studied in school. So basically, neoliberalism and liberal economics are out, and they have been for many years now. And the, the people who have been put in place under the current leadership are people who have been promoted by Xi Jinping. They've made their way up uh, through their loyalty and adherence to Xi Jinping. And so this is effectively a one-man uh, system. And in addition to that, what's what's important is that the party is seizing control over aspects of the state, the state bureaucracy. And the reason that's important is because theoretically you could have had a sort of check or a balance because of the parallel system between the party and the state. Uh, but that never really happened. And now, of course, it, it definitely isn't happening because the party's taking control. And specifically, the party's taking control of finance and science and technology. And we see that that is a new element of the administrative reforms. But it's not something that is likely to be highly positive for China's productivity or potential GDP growth. Uh, because, in fact, what it means is that they're just trying to maintain a strict control on leverage, prevent financial bubbles from blowing up, and also uh, control data and control technology companies and provide self-sufficiency in core technologies where they're worried about the U.S. containment uh, cutting off their access to technology and their ability to modernize. So these are, again, uh, national security-oriented moves, and they are moves that are primarily focused on some slight administrative changes as an expression of the party's centralization of power. Not really great news, either from the perspective of, of productivity or of relations with the United States. Well, thanks a lot for joining me on this week's episode, Matt. It's always a pleasure talking to you. You too, Rukai. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Quick Takes podcast. We'll be bringing you weekly quick takes with BCA strategists on a range of macro and market topics. Stay tuned for next week's episode.